Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen The Last Duel. Yes. Directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, written by Matt Damon, Ben Affleck and Nicole Holosainer. Mm. And it's a story that's told in three chapters. And from what I understand, each uh, writer took control of one chapter each. Oh, I didn't realise that. I knew nothing about this before we saw it. We'd seen the trailer and I didn't think it really seemed to explain much. And it's, mm. well, it, it obviously didn't because I didn't even know this was a story told in three parts. And I didn't know that either. This film is kind of Rashomon in that it tells a story three times from three different perspectives. Um, and it's ostensibly a true story, at least based on true events, which is what mm. it says. And I think the history around this is reasonably well understood. The film is specifically based on a book called The Last Jewel from 2004, written by Eric Jaeger, who's an historian. In France, in the 1380s, this woman claims that she's been raped uh, by her husband's friend. So it, it's already tied up with questions of what happened, what people will believe, that kind of thing. And what we're being asked to do is go through these three characters. It's hers, her husband's, and the rapist. Mm. Their understandings and recountings of these characters' pasts and the events leading up to and including the rape. Mm. I liked all of that very much. Uh, and I say, the most difficult bit for me was the first bit, mm. the Matt Damon bit, because he plays... A kind of a stolid, uh, well, he plays a Matt Damon character, in fact. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, uh, salt of the earth, like decent. And I thought he lacked the heroic, he seemed too old, too stocky, yeah, too, yeah, mm. the, the costume seemed to box him, you know. So I thought, um, I initially thought he was miscast. And then as the film carries on, the character and, and his performance become more and more interesting. I was reading, you know, the Richard Brody uh, review that you were reading, mm. so at least, you know, we could share that. And one of the things that he says is that all the men in the film are horrible, and I disagree with that. Yeah, I think, actually, it's almost like, I think kind of almost all of them are understandable, let's say. I was going to say none of them are horrible, you know, though I think kind of women will take exception to it, and if they're all, you know... Uh, uh, one does commit a rape uh, and force himself on another. Though it's also kind of clear that in his eyes he, he's not, that's not what he thinks he's doing. And that's one of the most interesting parts of the film, but let's yeah. maybe not quite get onto it. Yeah. Yet. So, so um, you know, it's a film that I began by finding a bit dull. I found I, it unbelievably dull. I know you did. I knew this was two and a half hours long, and by half an hour in, I was checking the time and telling you, we've got two hours. <laughs> I know, I know. And but that was before it became clear that it was this three-part structure. And the moment that it changed, which was like 45 minutes in, and you and it, it did say at the start, the truth according to uh, yes. Jean at the start, chapter one. So I should have clocked that. There yes. was but then it was only after, it, after you know, you got to chapter two eventually, and it said the truth according to Jacques, the Adam Driver character. And that's when I went, oh, yes. oh right, now this is interesting. I, th I thought it was very interesting. I mean, you, I agree with you when you went to me and you said another two hours to go, whatever. I thought, oh my God, it's true. You know, so, so but but it gripped me, actually. I found it, um, I found it really interesting. 
there were moments that you've looked at with dread. There were moments that you looked that were exciting and, you know, a little bit suspenseful. I didn't know how things would turn out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's beautifully lit. Like, there are scenes that you just think, you know, the fireplace scenes with the candlelight, I think they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's something slightly off about the whole thing. Do you mean visually? Yeah. Um, I didn't like a lot of the look of it. Mm. I do like when things are shot by fireplaces, by candlelight, and I think those are the best-looking scenes. Mm. Um, actually, I think one of the issues that I had with the look was a similar issue to that which I had with uh, The Courier, the Cumberbatch film set in the Cold War that mm. we recently saw, where I think it's a projection thing, where with with digital projection, which I think this has to have been, blacks just don't show up as black. They're mm. very bright. Mm. So in these scenes with candlelight, you should be getting this really deep contrast between light and dark, and you don't. You have such mm. like you're looking at a light bulb. I well, think I, I don't think it's the film's problem, but it was a problem. I, I found it very distracting, in fact. I, 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 I didn't have that problem, and I, I like that. But the rest but, of the time, I thought it was extremely grey. Very um, low contrast, actually. Yeah, I thought, I thought that, too. The film uses so much handheld camera or more, you know, moving mm-hmm. camera. Yeah, the, the compositions always seem a bit skewed or, you know, or a bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you never get, like, the sense that you're meant to get from, you know, a, a particular choice of mm. of framing and composition. So, um, so there were things that I think that it's not great, yeah? But actually, it did involve me in the storytelling. I found the differences in the perspectives from each of the characters uh, to be really interesting ones. Well, I want to talk about how those differences are kind of expressed, because I think that is interesting. What I was expecting was individual moments to be reconfigured, and they are a little bit. So the one that kind of comes back three times, or one of them, but the one that's central to me at least, was um, when, after a long kind of history of feuding and suing and this kind of thing, Adam Driver and Matt Damon meet for the first time in a long time and they put their differences aside and that's mm. when Adam Driver meets the Jodie Comer character mm. and the wife. That's told three times and in each one it's slightly different. So in the first one where it's been told from Matt Damon's perspective, he's the one who says we should put our differences aside under the king, we all need to work together, something like that. And Adam Driver says, well said. Literally the opposite dialogue in Adam Driver's telling and then in Jodie Comer's telling, none of that dialogue. Yeah. So I thought Can that... Let me go. Just because I think it's important. You also get the same thing about who saves whose life. Yeah. Mm. Where in the Matt Damon thing, he saves Adam Driver's life. In the Adam Driver segment, he saves Matt Damon's life. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is interesting. So there are these moments like that, that and I, that's what I was expecting when I realised this mm. is what the film would, would be. But actually, I think the more interesting difference, and I'm glad it actually doesn't do that very much, but the more interesting difference is almost structural. It's about what characters choose to remember and not to remember. What yes. they leave out and include. Mm. You know, so uh, Jack, the Adam Driver character, remembers all of these looks from Marguerite. Yes. And this conversation across the, the kind of buffet table at this place and how it was flirtatious and she was giving mm. some back and all this. And then, and that's not something that, well, it's not something that... Um, Matt Damon would remember he wasn't there for that. This, these were moments between the two of them, so he wouldn't. That wouldn't be in his recollection. Uh, and then you get to Marguerite's recollection, and for her, she doesn't remember that table at all. Yeah. Uh, and the looks are her she, talking to her husband and describing 
how to operate socially and smooth out any problems. So you smile, exactly. even though you don't mean it. It's not and flirtatious. He, yeah. She's It's a social lubricant. She's yeah. smiling at him because he's the historical enemy. Hmm. And it's not, it's what you do. It's, it's yeah, politics. Um, the smiles do show up in different scenes and they're reconfigured. But parts of it, the table, don't. Mm. And there are whole sections that either come in or are left out depending on mm. who's remembering and mm. who's telling the story. And that's why I think the scene that you mentioned, that I said was really interesting, which is uh, Jacques' telling of the rape, is really interesting because when he remembers this rape, it's he shows up at her door, he um, basically barges his way in, having used his squire to mm. uh, kind of deceive her to open the door. She's alone in, in, the, in the castle. Um, he chases her upstairs... And it is a chase, and and um, has sex with her on her bed, and locks the door behind. The thing is, when he remembers all this afterwards, he explains it to his count, is it, played by Ben Affleck, as well. She was saying no in the way that you say no because she's a lady. She yeah. she has to offer the I forget the phrase he used, but it's something like she has to offer the the courtesy, the excuse or whatever, whatever it is, the courtesy of saying no, but but really she means yes, and. It kind of makes sense, but even in his recollection, the way it's shot and and performed, it's a rape. Yeah. Right? (laughs) But it's very interesting. I mean, one of the reasons why I think the film is so interesting is because it conveys both a perspective, yeah, on, you know, the same action that's slightly different, but not too different, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you recognise the situation as being the same situation, Right, but then also the film distinguishes between when the characters are actually telling the truth of their memory, yeah, and when they're lying about it, yeah. And actually, that scene with Ben Affleck is both, yeah. Mm. It's like you know he's he's telling his point of view of what happened, yeah, but he's also you know trying to excuse himself to his lord, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because because. Because it's so clearly... It showed more brutally when uh, Marguerite remembers it. Um, but it is still brutal when Jacques remembers it. And I remember thinking, how? why would he remember it like this if he thinks it was... Especially because afterwards uh, he says, we couldn't help it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so when he says that, it so doesn't match up with the action that we've just seen from his perspective that I'm thinking, even in his own recollection, is he lying to himself? Can he possibly mean that? Can you possibly interpret what we've just seen? I, I think you're meant to think that, though. Yeah. Yeah. So you're meant to think that he is lying to himself, but also that he believes it, that it's the only way to rationalise yeah, his actions to himself. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and that's where I think the film begins to be really, really interesting, actually. You know, from her perspective, it's brutal. Like She cries. Uh, yeah, she's kind of... Um, seemingly destroyed by it, or, or at least rendered powerless by it for a while. Um, you see her world, which is composed of women, you know, and other enemies, including her mother-in-law. Uh, you know, you, you get to see all those interactions and all those potential betrayals that come out later. You see her strength as well, though at the same time, her position in her own mind and in society's mind is very clear yeah, she's always inferior. She's always buying the, bowing down to the husband. She's always managing the husband. And she acts completely differently when he's away. 
you know, that she takes charge of affairs, she knows what she's doing, she mm -hmm. shows intelligence and discipline and work, right? And, you know, she manages everything much more competently than, than he does. Uh, but those gradations, those nuances of changes, depending on who you're next to, that are entirely kind of um, the outcome of gender differences in a patriarchal culture, I think the film is really good at kind of conveying them and conveying them in a complex manner. Or, well, I think it's a film without subtlety. And ah. I think it's, for me, it was a real problem that I felt emotionally distanced almost all the time. The only time I began to get emotionally involved was when Marguerite was telling her version of the story and into the final, into the last duel, which I actually found quite exciting. Um, I... You see, I think it is interesting, and, and what it talks about is interesting, but I don't want to mislead people into thinking that I think it does it well. I think what it raises is interesting, but I think that every scene is there to kind of tell you one thing. It didn't feel like, in a good film, with a good screenplay, you feel like there's complexity to these people, that, every, that lines of dialogue mean two things at once, that they express something deeper as well as what they're actually saying. I don't feel there's any of that in this. I found a lot of it extremely predictable. You know, you did kind of know, and this is something in Richard Brody's review, that he kind of says, when you see the rape the first time, you kind of know you're going to see it the second time, and it's going to be... Of course, you need to see it. I disagree with him in the sense that I think you do need to see it. You, yeah, need, he, you need her perspective. He makes the argument that, uh -huh. actually, a better filmmaker or better film would not show it at all, and it would rely on... It's about testimony, whereas what the film does is, is it, it, it does fairly explicitly say, this is the truth, and it's hers. And it does that by... Well, I think that's a problem, and, and I, I do think that the way that... yeah. The film announces it, the truth according to Marguerite, and then of course the letters, the truth, stay on. So it's like you're saying the truth of the movie is her truth, mm. and that feels like really blunt uh, and unsubtle for sure. Uh, but I think the film does have subtleties. I well, mean, I we just talked about some of them. No, know, I, the, I th in the Adam Driver scene. See, I didn't see that as a subtlety. I saw that as something incomplete. No, or, or no, kind of not well thought through. No, uh, because I, I it as a because I felt it was an inconsistency. That I mean, it may well, but you could look at it as an inconsistency in his retelling, or an inconsistency in you know his head or whatever. But I think it's an inconsistency in the film. Actually, I don't agree with that. Um, there are things that surprised me in the film. In the first episode, you get the feeling, you know, that uh, Matt Damon's character is a real idealist who, you know who's good at what he does and who is wronged by uh, structures of power in the culture that are against him. Yeah. Uh, by the second episode, you think, you know, he's just uh, too uptight. He doesn't know how to maneuver in society. <laughs> he's constantly creating problems for himself. Yeah, that mm -hmm. don't need to be there. So the retelling is also a layering of each of the characters, in fact, not just, uh, you know, Matt Damon and uh, Adam Driver. And part of the reason why I disagree with the, the Brody thing where he says, you know, all the men here are jerks, is I think actually all the men are flawed. Um, but, you know, you understand a lot more about them than... So you can't dismiss them as just all being horrible because actually you know you, you, you get told quite a lot about them both from their own perspective and mm -hmm. from others, right? So, you know, the Adam Driver character, he's obviously like a schemer, you know, and he gets close to power and he's kind of self-interested, 
but also you get the feeling that um, you know he's from a poor background. He's constantly the one, the, the one who's got to give way to all of the others. Yeah, there are reasons why he behaves the way that he does, until um, you know the rape. I, I do think that um, what propels that action is not clear to me. I, I think it is all very basic. I, I'm just quickly on that Richard Brody, you know, the, the way he opens with um, all these all these men are bastards, basically, and that's I think is the worst part of that review. I think it's a bit of a kind of cheap opening to to be honest. Yes. And and wrong. Um, uh, but no, I mean, like I said, I, when it comes down to the complexity of the cat, I, I found it predictable. So like I said, the predictability about seeing the rape the second time would be you knew it would be more brutal. It would be her telling of it. I, well, I feel like, I feel like you know these things are going to come up. You know that there's going to be something about women not believing her. Because, well, society but, not believing. You know, her. I mean, so so you're right, but is that due to a lack of complexity in the narrative, or the fact that you know the narrative over the years, particularly the last five years, has so solidified, you know, around all of these issues that recur, uh, men having an understanding amongst each other kind of, you know, women being raped, they're not being believed, the testimony being dismissed. Yeah, all of that is like, uh, you know, a recurring pattern from the 14th century to the present. It would be odd if the film didn't follow that. I know what you mean, but I think that there's no intelligence in just following that. I want to see something more complex. I want to see something more challenging. I want to see something that's more interesting, that takes a risk, that doesn't just follow... Basically, the fact that you can take this narrative that we've been seeing for the last few years as these various cases and uh, allegations come out and the the story always goes the same way, the fact that you can take that and put it in this medieval context and go, look, it's just like back then. It's not that clever. it it doesn't say it's just like back then, you know, because the film makes it very clear that the woman has no recourse because actually, as far as the law is concerned, nothing has been done to her, you know, uh, it's the husband who has recourse because his property has been damaged. Yeah. Yes, that's a difference. So, you know, that is a major difference. Um, but we're talking about the... She doesn't exist who, in talking law. Talking about who's, who's believed and what's the husband's reaction to being told and, and what's society's reaction to hearing this and getting your story... You know, there's a thing about trying it in the public, basically, because you think you may not get... Um, I found all Well, actually, it's, it's trying it in public. It's spreading the story around so that they can get their day in court. Um, because this story has to be handled, uh, but you know, I, that is, I don't find any intelligence or creativity in in just well putting I, this in ancient clothing. Uh, the reason for I think putting it in ancient clothing is that it's a real story, right, and that it's supposedly played out in this way, and that it still continues to have the same patterns, and therefore has a particular resonance. I don't have a problem with that. I mean. You know, I don't. Uh, and I did find the storytelling kind of interesting cumulatively. I also find it unusual. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a major Hollywood blockbuster about uh, a woman being raped uh, that takes, you know, the woman's side and gives her the final word. Yeah, I can't think of, you know... Uh, um, many other films in which that's the case, and particularly when the woman is not the star of the film, yeah? Um, no, I did kind of like its ambition. I mean, it's certainly ambitious, and it's cost a lot of money, as I mentioned to you. It's cost the same as Gladiator. Yes. Uh, also directed by Ridley Scott. This is directed by Ridley Scott, I don't know if we mentioned. Um, I think Gladiator um, did a bit more with the money. Um, 
Mind you, that's 20 years ago as well, so money was worth Yeah, more. I mean, you know, <laughs> I am one of those people who, I mean, I don't know when was the, when, when I saw the last Ridley Scott film I liked, to be honest. Prometheus, uh, The Aliens? I kind of like Prometheus, um, but he's had a whole run of films that were like, uh, you know, so middling to bad, like mm. like The Last Kingdom, which we were talking about. Yeah, we talk, Kingdom of Heaven, I mentioned, because it's yeah. not a million miles away from this in some sense. Yeah, Kingdom of Heaven. But actually, let me just, give me a second and let me go through his filmography, because I think I've seen them all. Uh, and there's very little memorable. Oh, we saw. Um, I tell you what, I remembered the uh, the Exodus Scott and not Exodus Scott and Kings. That's the other one. Um, oh no, it was Exodus Scott and Kings. Yeah, that's what the name of it was. I like that. You like that, I think. Uh, oh, we did the Martian as well, which was decent. Although I think what I did, what Exodus Scott and Kings had, which I don't think this has, and and the Martian didn't have, is a really strong kind of visual uh, sense yes I, I take it back I really did like uh, The Martian I mean for all the money spent on this film there's not a single really remarkable shot um, no there isn't so he did Matchstick Man which I haven't seen in 2003 Kingdom of Heaven which uh, <laughs> you know 2005 American Gangster mm, Body of Lies again I can barely remember any of, any of it Robin Hood Again, you know... I think that was the one with Russell Crowe. That's the one with Russell Crowe. One of the worst of the Robin Hood films. Then Prometheus, which um, I, I did like, but I liked it less and less <laughs> the more I saw it. Mm. Uh, and then uh, The Counselor, which actually I really like. Uh, you know, really seedy, noir. Mm. Um, so that I do like. And then Exodus, I like The Martian. I don't even remember Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant was the one where they worked out this brilliant special effect where Michael Fassbender could hand stuff to himself in one shot no. because he had another, it was like a robot thing, and he thought that's the whole film is about it. Oh, and also I think one an alien chases them into the ship at one point. That was quite exciting. If you look at those titles and you compare his run of, you know, so if that's covered 20 years... If you take the first 20 years and you take The Duelist and Alien, Blade Runner, yeah, even Legend, Someone to Watch Over Me, Black Rain, Thelma and Louise, it's just like not bloody comparable, is it? Like there's something's happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, to, the thing about this film, to go back to The Last Jewel, I did kind of think this, it's, imagine had this film been fully written and directed by a woman. It feels like it's been made by someone who is on nodding terms with the ideas involved and with the stories that this is based on and the narrative that it's based on, maybe I should say, um, that actually it doesn't feel rich and complex as I wanted. This is like, mm-hmm. this, this is a very ambitious rape-revenge story told from different perspectives. I wanted something much richer than I thought I got. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you're right, you know. I would have liked to have seen it uh, directed by a woman as well. Uh, you, I'm sure, would have gotten something very different. I think it's significant that Nicole Holsevner. Let me just check. Um, I wasn't familiar with it, but you, you knew her name. Um, Nicole Holofsener. Holofsener, uh wrote it, and it was interesting that you said she wrote her story. Yeah, the woman's yeah, well, story. Yeah, the woman's story, yeah. From um, what I understand. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's all very interesting, and you could see how that added uh, to the film. I mean, you know, I don't want to go... Yeah, you know, on the 
you know, and a life or death struggle to defend the film because, you know, I don't think it's any great masterpiece of the cinema. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I found it a lot more interesting than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. There are things that are really surprising and fresh and interesting. I loved uh, the acting of the king, yeah, whoever, <laughs> whoever the young actor is. I loved Ben Affleck's performance. I think, you know, you're seeing a Ben Affleck like you've never seen him before. He's like loose and uh, slightly campy and light and playful and, you know, mm. I mean, I think, you know, it's almost as good as he's ever been on screen because usually he's just like a big fat blank. Do you think so? Yes, I do. I love the performance of uh, Matt Damon's mother, though she's always great. Harriet Walter. Yeah, she's wonderful. And she's got like this, you know, wonderfully interesting face. There's a, there's a wonderful shot of her photographs and profile, mm. you know, that is just really striking. So, it's not without uh, its pleasures and its charms and its delights and its interest. I do, I do think that to me it is significant that a major Hollywood blockbuster is attempting to tell the story in as interesting a way as it does. Mm. Right, like I, I agree with you that it doesn't, you know, that it doesn't succeed on some levels. You know, does it make um, you feel? Um, did it make I, you feel? It it didn't it didn't make me feel until her story. Mm. You know, then it did because actually, you know, and that I think I think those moments in the film are really wonderful. You know, you get the sense that this woman is imprisoned first, yeah, by her situation. Yeah, she's nobody outside of her husband's property. Then her uh, mother-in-law, instead of being an ally, is an enemy. And I did wonder at a moment if actually it wasn't the mother-in-law who had set up the situation so a rape could happen. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, and there would be reasons. It's a coincidence for it. that she's left if, her alone on the actually, day a, that he shows it's, up. It's a problem in the film that it's a coincidence. They could have milked that in interesting ways. Um, then also the friend turns against her. You know, so y y this is a woman who becomes increasingly alone mm -hmm. and who's got to rely on, you know, the husband who, um, well, you get the feeling that Matt Damon has been considerate and thoughtful insofar as he's capable of, but he's got no knowledge of women, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's got to rely on someone who hasn't even been conscious of her during sex to then save her life. So, you know, this kind of increasing entrapment. And actually, I was anxious and feeling for her even after they succeeded and left because I did wonder what's going to happen you know, when they get home. And I think that this is where, like, the film's failings begin to come in because, again, that could have been something very interesting. You know, why doesn't he believe Adam Driver? Yeah whose last breath was, I didn't do it, mm. right? Like, you know, there are interesting things that are not followed up on, right? So I expected something really horrible to happen to her after they got home, mm. for her to be imprisoned or killed or, yeah. Um, so I, I, I did... Um, I mean, I, I, I would say I did start to feel, I think I already said during that third chapter, but, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to remember where, to be honest, and it wasn't consistent. And most of the film I felt... If you just wrote down what was happening in this scene and what the idea of it was, that actually gives you the scene. Mm. I didn't think that lighting, acting, camera work, perform anything, writing was bringing out mm. that those anything more than just the information that was being imparted in this scene. It does feel. Um, read the read the plot yeah. on wiki. You'd be fine. Yeah. Well, 
I mean, I don't quite agree there. I, you know, the film had a lot of pleasures for me. Though, again, I think you're right that there are pleasures that don't necessarily add to the depth of the film, though maybe they do. So, for example, I, I got a real kick out of seeing the shots of Notre Dame being built. Mm. Yeah, and also what surrounded it, the bridges and women washing clothes. And, and then you do wonder, I mean, is that just a setting card, right? It's like Paris, 1383. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Or is it adding kind of more to it? And and upon reflection, it did add a little more to it. Yeah, it mm-hmm. added, you know, this is a different time. The women have a different place. Yeah, the kind of, um, you know, social structures are different. Power relations are different. I mean, you know, and the reason why I feel that the male characters are also given a sense of three-dimensionality is because of how they are also fixed in the social scale and the little power that they have and the few options that they also have. Of course, yeah, many more than the women and it's shown as being clearly patriarchal and when the mother-in-law says, well, this is the fate of women, why don't you feel that, uh, you know, all the women who are soldiers rape whenever, you know, all the peasant women, Mm -hmm. yes, kind of, what about them? Uh, To which Matt Damon's wife has no answer, right? And she has no answer because, you know, I'm sure to, that someone of her class and position, the very idea of comparing herself to a peasant woman in the 14th century would be ludicrous. Yes, you are ordained by mm. God to be superior, right? Like, a, so, yeah. um, so no, I, I, no solidarity back then. Well, no, not, it's a way of understanding the world that is different. And I would have liked to have seen more of that. Yeah. Right. I mean, did she, for example, believe that uh, the duel would would be the will of God, that the outcome of the duel would be the will of God? Mm. Or did she not feel that? I mean, you know, to at least raise the question would have been interesting, whereas actually we never get the question... Well, there's raised. a line that vaguely suggests, although certainly the question of her being an atheist is just not, you know, that's, everyone believes in God in this, or at least I say so. Um, although it's not like richly Christian, but it's just that's the world they live in. But it's when it's after uh, she's been in court in her telling of the story towards the end, and she's informed that if her husband loses the duel, the whole thing is the duel, God will intervene in the duel, and whoever wins means that that person, according to God, has told the truth. Um, And if her husband loses, and therefore she's lied, uh, that she will be arrested and and burned alive. And, And, you know, I'm sure your husband's told you that. And he hasn't. (laughs) And so after that, she kind of decries him, attacks him for it. And she says something like, um, now it's going to come down to which of two old men dies first. As if to say, like, God's got nothing to do with it. In fact, she even may say something like, God's got nothing to do with it. Oh, good That's game. like a line that's, you know, it, and said in anger. So, again, there's, it's room for interpretation. Does she really mean that? Is she angry that she wasn't told about this? Mm. Um, well, she's clearly angry that she wasn't told about that. Yeah, but like, uh, is that the only reason that she says that? Mm. Or does she actually believe that no, this is just... Though that, again, says something very interesting about her. So she's not at all worried about wagering her husband's life, but... Her own. <laughs> well, she needs her husband's life. I mean, again, that's that's made quite explicit, isn't it? She she has no legal standing on her own, as you said. It's it's a chattel thing. Yes, um, but she needs so her the, husband. She needs the husband to to bring the case to court. Yeah, but that's different than saying that she's not afraid to wager his life. Uh, sure. But then you know, as soon as she finds out that her life would also be forfeit, yeah, yeah, yeah. then you know. Uh, so I think that's interesting. Um, did she know his life was on the line before she wanted to take it to court? Yeah, yeah, she knew yeah. that, of course, because the whole thing would be then there's a duel, right? So, yeah. I thought that was a question you were asking. 
Oh no, no, no! no. That I, you know, I that is I think the film makes clear, mm. you know, to everyone. What is a surprise to her is that her life will also be mm. yeah at stake or at play in this. So, um, so I thought you know I kind of I thought it was all very interesting. Uh, I thought you know the Matt Damon character was fascinating the way that he changed, you know, from being like this idealist, you know upholder of law and you know oppressed you know to being like somebody who's just too narrow-minded and not intelligent enough to Mm. see things right to being really hardened and even narrower at the end yeah yeah exactly Um, his his character is a good expression of the difference between what you look like in your eyes and other people's eyes yes um and i think that the this kind of general idea that in this deeply patriarchal society um, that it's all about these two men, mm. their fight. You know, two thirds of the stories are their stories, their mm. tellings, and it's about their history. To, you know, it, there's, there's this thing about land that uh, Matt Damon was promised as dowry, that um, uh, uh, Adam Driver ends up with that this gift from the Count, and so he sues over that. And it's, it's about this historical battle between the two of them, um, and that's I think what you see at the very end after the duel, where. <laughs> it's a, it was a really weird I mean I didn't hate it I didn't hate it at all I thought it was interesting and kind of kooky that um, after the duel they celebrate like like they won the World Cup mm. right and I was, I was thinking like what if you win the World Cup and then you bring your wife out as that, and like I've won the World Cup therefore she's telling the truth about being raped yeah. very weird but that's kind of how it is right they get on these horses there's like a, almost a procession essentially yes. out with these crowds cheering yes very odd um and then you see this look in her face. She's on the horse behind his. And he goes first. And it's about him. He's won the battle. Yeah. And in the eyes of society, he's won. Yeah. It's, it's his victory. And you see it in her face. This was never about me. Mm. It's about them. And there's mm. fucking well, I think, fight. I think that's what's interesting about the film. Because it is... You know, the film makes that clear. Yeah. Right? You know, so... Oh, yeah. The, no, it's not at that point that you realise it. But that it's really well expressed there. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I really also liked the way that the film presented the Adam Driver character. He's on the make. He is a liar. He is taking his friend's property, right? Like, you know, and it's a very kind of conscious thing. Mm. You know, uh, he is playing her. He's obviously much more intelligent than Matt Damon. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been educated for the church. Yeah, but he is like a Casanova... A sensualist and he lies all the time yeah and maybe he lies to himself and there's no question that he commits a rape but yeah and we talked about how yeah even in his own mind what he has done is a rape yeah but yeah he might lie to himself about what he's done he certainly lies to everyone else very consciously and has no qualms about doing so right mm. yeah. unless he believes it no, no, because those things, you know, that is what uh, the Viscount tells him. You must never on any occasion admit to any of that, mm. right? And that's what he does. And you see him do it, like, you know, right to the end. <laughs> so uh, um, even though if he were a more believing fellow, he would know that in doing that, he is condemning his himself to eternal hell. Uh, so, you know, maybe the extent of his lying to himself <laughs> includes that last moment. I mean, I think those are all kind of interesting questions. You know, because you see it played out in the media, right? All these young kids who, uh, you know, basically ruin a woman's life 
And they have no clue that they did. They didn't think they did anything wrong. They were just being playful. Their families don't understand. You know, like, yeah, there's a whole discourse around that, which is very similar, I think, to the Adam Driver one. Mm. I mean, I think I... Maybe this is a bit uh, banal, maybe even a bit crude. I don't mean like that. But I do wonder whether women who have been victims of rape, survivors of rape, mm. um, whether they would think this is any good, whether they think, whether they think this is interesting, insightful, expressive. Well, that's 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 what we'll have to... I, I suspect not, to be honest. Mm. I mean, you know, there are a lot more interesting feminist films on the subject, mm. right? Uh, Maria Toutet uh, is 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 a Canadian film that's really wonderful. It's all shot from the woman's point of view. Uh, so, and that's a very imaginative way. If we, when we were talking before about showing that rape, yeah, mm-hmm. because actually you just see her point of view on the action. You don't see any of the men's point of view on it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about what's happening to her and what she's feeling. Um, so I think by that um, by that criteria, I think it's probably not that interesting. Uh, However, I think, you know, as a commercial, big-budget kind of Hollywood production, um, which has given itself the goal of engendering a discussion on the subject, I do think it's valuable and interesting. Hmm. Okay. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours long. Well, yeah, I kind of... um, I I found it more and more interesting as it unfolded. Well, it's true to say that it gets better as time passes. Those first 45 minutes are a chill. Listen, let me put it another way. Venom, yeah, <laughs> what was it called? Venom Part 2. Let There Be Carnage. Let There Be Carnage was 97 minutes. <laughs> and it was like much, much longer than this film and much less interesting and much worse. This had better carnage, frankly. I mean, I complained in Venom 2 that there's a fuck all carnage and violence, which it promises. In this, you do get to see some blood heads bashed in. I thought at least, you know, I mean, even though it's probably a bit fleeting and you maybe I think all of that could have been filmed better I mean I I do agree with Richard Brody that I wish it had been choreographed better yeah Mm. I wish that you know you would follow like the blows the escape how to maneuver in and out just they were made into actual scenes you want to be made into actual scenes not just just bang bang you know here and there which is all they are they're just snippets the film thing is the film has got a lot of plot to get through and it doesn't really have give itself any time, despite the fact it's two and a half hours long, doesn't give itself time to do anything that expressive with, actually I'd say anything, but particularly with those, you know, um, I think what he was saying was, you know, they give you this very generalised impression of, well, life was brutal then, that's the war is brutal. Yes, <laughs> like, well, exactly. You know. Um, I do wish the action had been better. I think that is a main problem uh, in the film, you know, because kind of that would have been a, a, more, a, um, a more exciting way of weaving in you know, what is really a social problem film, yeah? Mm. So, you know, they knew how to dress up the period, yeah? But actually they didn't know how to kind of um, weave in the action, yeah, to kind of create different rhythms and different levels of excitement as the film progressed. So, uh, and yet it was there. So, you know, if it's there, you might as well do it well. (laughs) Yeah, it does have that feeling, certainly in that first chapter really has that feeling that I've complained about recently about and then and then and then it's just a list of events mm. and actually those only become interesting when they're recontextualized by what you see other people saying mm. in their recollections that first I'm saying that's three quarters of an hour of feeling completely aimless and directionless well I, um, yeah 
until it was you a bit realize. dull, but yeah. uh, I didn't I didn't feel as strongly as you did. <laughs> um, I struggled. Anyway. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping <laughs> at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good. I'm going to have all these women, you know, protesting. Maybe you should cut that out. You say none of the fem- are, none of the men are really bad. <laughs> you know, this brutal rapist. <laughs> yeah. well, I think the thing is that, that I think the most interesting thing that Richard Brody had to say in his review was right at the end when he talks about we briefly mentioned um, having to see the rape at all, and that a more ambitious, more interesting, better film would have not shown that, and it would have been about the story. Is she believed? You know, um, whereas the, the film that presents it as a truth, and then talks about people's recollections or, or people's interpretations or people's beliefs around it, is... I must say I don't have any problem with that. It would be a very different film, essentially. I mean, the mm. thing is, I think it comes down to like a central. The film is not interested. The story is not interested in in questioning this woman. It presents it as a truth. Mm. Like, in the world we live in today, it is we're taking it as true, and then we're talking about. That the I consequences. Think, that I think you have to do. You have to take the woman's word as truth. You know, because we live in a world where 98% of reported rapes aren't followed up on. Mm. You know, and they aren't prosecuted. So, you know, the, I mean, I think that the film had questioned the woman's word on it. it. You know, I think that would have been terrible in the present context. I think, you know, to question the men's word on it is... Yeah, kind of a logical kind of outcome of the situation that we live in, mm-hmm. you know, which is that it's, it's rarely questioned, you know, or that it's not questioned thoroughly, or that it's not questioned enough. So, but, you know, as to the rest of Brody's comments, you know, you do it that way and you're doing an experimental film. Well, not necessarily experimental, but more complex and not as... arguably not as clear. I mean, if, if, if you end up with a film going, well, I don't know, then... That's well, I mean, you know, if you don't show it in some way, then the question of did it happen becomes like, you know, a different kind of, of, of question, right? Like, it becomes a metaphysical question. <laughs> no, no, not metaphysical, but it's like, the thing is, in, in, in alleged rapes that you hear about in the press, none of us have seen them, none of us were there. That's what the question is all about, is who do we believe and why or why not, you know? Um, that's what the film would have been evoking so then it would have been all like telling and not showing then you know it would have been about kind of different witness accounts of just saying it well it might have been something else it might have been a courtroom drama maybe I mean I think there is something very uncomfortable about the showing of rape in a film about rape mm. right so okay. um, you know that um, and, and the risk that it might turn pornographic or that it might be a turn on you know, to some parts of the audience, which adds to the way that it's filmed here because it's not exciting and it's filmed at a distance, right? They're trying to be respectful to the situation and that adds to the dullness, I think, you know. <laughs> well. Filmed at a distance until you get into close-ups of her face and um, and there's like a key difference with the two right. showings of it where 
where he surprise. he imagines sort of some pleasure, mm. uh, and then she remembers screaming and crying. Yes, yeah, and that's um, that's that's a close up. Yes. Yeah, so I, I anyway I think you know I I'm glad I'm glad of those that those differences were visualized. So, um, mm. but yes, it is always a problem to show, and I'm not sure how to get around that. Uh, and it's very easy, you know, for Richard Brody to say that, and then like you know, let's see it. I remember that when the, I forget what the Jodie Foster film is called, but the one that she did, which she won the Oscar for, you know, uh, about the rape. You know, obviously, you know that was heavily criticized. You know, was it eroticized? Was it a turn on? Yeah, it's always it's always a problem. Um, I don't remember that. I'm, my memory's bad about titles, but uh, her first Oscar. The Accused? The Accused. 1988. That's right. I don't know it. Legal drama. My kind of thing. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> and even in the legal drama, where it's all about the telling, there also had to be the showing. Mm. Um, though though it was considered incredibly problematic, that showing. So, um, I, w- I won't watch it at work, then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's wrap it up. Well, we have wrapped it up. Yeah, oh, so I'm trying to get out on a laugh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wrong film. <laughs> can I just quickly tell you the other thing I didn't like that I've just remembered, but while well, I can still record, um, there's another problem, which is, and this is also Richard Brody's review. In fact, he mentioned this, but I still thought of it first. Is um, the actual dialogue, the writing? It kind of it jumps between crappy sort of medievally sounding you know people like not using contractions you know they don't say don't they say do not i do not believe this you mm. will there's all this kind of shit it's like many and then it jumps into something quite modern sounding sometimes mm. you know uh, ben affleck breaks out the f word a couple of times mm. um matt damon i think it's a line that richard brody quotes he says uh this is what i do which is mm. a real like movie line you know i think it's if it comes across as being written by people who aren't that intelligent, that who who don't understand even the register they want to write in, mm. I find that a real problem. If it had chosen one, I mean, I wouldn't have liked it to have chosen and stuck with the ye olde English type because I think it's stayed and silly and doesn't come across well. If they had chosen actually just like modern talk, modern a modern register, I think it might have worked. I was thinking about um, in relationship actually. I was thinking about. Uh, the death of Stalin, which was very consciously about not only kind of modern talk, but also different accents and things. Like here, it's a real mishmash of English and American accents, even though it's medieval France. And at one point, at one point for one line, there's a French woman who speaks. It's the Count's wife, remember? It's like, oh, a French accent in France. How novel. Um, but I, I didn't mind just the mishmash. Just like, just go with it, right? Let the actors speak in their accents, mm-hmm. their normal accents. If they'd let them speak in a kind of regular speech too I really wouldn't have minded that I think it might have benefited the film I didn't mind it you know I didn't mind it at all uh, you know I'm sorry that it was a problem for Richard Brody but it wasn't a problem for me uh, I certainly have seen many many films this week alone that have much worse dialogue or more to complain about in relation to dialogue than this film so <laughs> that there's the odd anachronism uh, is something I frankly don't care about. Well, I wanted more anachronisms. That's what I mean. Like I think I because, or well, I suppose when I'm saying the old dialogue 
like I suppose that is anachronistic too because I think it's badly done and and quite silly. I would just like it to have been consistent and it felt like it hadn't been thought about really. No, I think it had been thought about, and I think this is what their conclusion was. Um, and I think it's, it's perfectly fine. That's the least of the film's problems for me. Mm. It's one of the one of the ones I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs>